0: Well, good morning. My name Scott. I'm one of the elders here at LifeSpring, and I have the, the privilege and the joy to be able to bring uh, uh, God's Word to you uh, this morning. Um, I would say probably about 10 months ago or so, I was driving to work, and I was having a particularly rough time, uh, just spiritually. I was just kind of worn out spiritually and mentally, and I'm, and I'm driving to work, and I pull into the parking lot. And just as I'm about to turn my truck off, I'm listening to Moody, and they say, you know, hey, join us now as we conclude our series in Psalm 73 about a, a godly man who had almost lost his way and I had to go into work and I'm pretty confident that whatever I did at work today was not nearly as important as being able to sit and listen to whatever was going to be spoken there so at lunchtime I came out and I read uh, that passage and I, I read that and it just kinda of spoke directly to my soul and I'm like you know what this is this is of profound importance and I really kind of want to speak on them. That was about 10 months ago. So I'm really, anx- I'm really actually excited to, uh, to bring this this morning. But let's open up our time here with prayer uh, before we dive into Scripture. Father God, I just pray for this time here. Uh, I pray that um, uh, we just have a joyful time of worship and of uh, diving into your Scripture. Lord, I just pray that your Holy Spirit would bring uh, these words to life. Uh, Lord, that our hearts would be open uh, to hear them. Nobody needs to hear the words that I have to say, uh, but it is of dire consequence that we hear you speak uh, to our hearts. Uh, so, Lord, we just pray that that is true this morning, and we just pray that you pray that you would bless this time in your name. Amen. <clears throat> Psalm seventy-three opens. We are, are introduced to a man. His name is Asaph. Asaph is a godly man. He's a Levite. He's a spiritual leader of his town, and. He is in probably one of the most dangerous places a person can be. He's probably in one of the most dangerous places any man or woman could be. He is so stuck in his own head that he is really, really struggling. And what's he struggling with? He's struggling with two concepts. One of them is true. But his eyes are actually seeing something completely different than what he actually knows to be true. It starts off in verse 1. Surely God is good to Israel, to those that are pure in heart. So Asaph knows this. He knows that God is good, and he knows that he is good to those impure of heart. But then in verse 2, he contrasted it right away by saying, But as for me, my feet had almost slipped. I nearly lost my foothold. For I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Now you notice he says he almost slipped. He nearly lost his foothold. So Asaph is struggling with this. He's kind of looking back at a time in his life where he had this self-induced trial, so to speak. Nothing actually happened to him. He just, he's contrasting what he knows to be true of God, that he is good, and that he gives that goodness to those that seek after him. But he's contrasting that with what he's seeing. And not only is he contrasting with what he's seeing, he, is, he says, for I envied the arrogant. And there's another version I actually like better. It says, for I envied the foolish. He is in one line insulting these people and then wanting to be like them. And really, that would be messing with your head, wouldn't it? As a godly man, he's like, "I shouldn't be envious of these people, but I am, and I'm really struggling with this." Because he's seeing the prosperity of the wicked. And let's as we read further, chapter four: they have no struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. They are free oh, I'm sorry, I lost my they are free from common human burdens, and they are mean that even as they about how they live their life, and they're certainly not worried about what happens after they die. And that's how he's viewing these things. And he says, Therefore their pride is their necklace. They clothe themselves with violence. From their calloused hearts comes iniquity. Their evil imaginations have no limits. They're hard-hearted. They're prideful. They're shrewd, shrewd businessmen. Whatever their imagination comes up with, they act on it. They have no boundaries whatsoever. They scoff and speak with malice, with arrogance, and they threaten oppression. So far, (laughs) I don't know, that's not a really enduring term of somebody that I want to be envious of. I'm just saying it doesn't sound like somebody that I would be striving with. And again, Asaph is in his head because he is. He's really struggling with this. He's seeing all of this. In verse 9, their mouths lay claim to heaven and their tongues take possessions of the earth. Therefore their people turn to them and drink up the waters in abundance. And they say, how could God know? Does the Most High know anything? They are so self-sufficient spiritually and financially, and God is not even acting against this. So they're saying, does God even know? Is God even capable of actually interfering with what we've got going on? They are just wearing this pride around their neck, and they're flaunting it. And Asaph is watching this from his from his station, from his, you know, his point of view as the spiritual leader of, of, the, uh, of the, the, the town or the region that he's in. He sums it up in 12 with, with this declarative sentence. This is what the wicked are like. Two things. They are always free of care, and they just go on amassing wealth. How many Facebook users do I have in here? I haven't gotten a lot of friend requests from some, from some of you. It's all right, though. We're not going to talk about that right now. But what, do you, what, is, one of the, what is Facebook actually known for the most, right? The highlight reels, right? Everybody goes there, and, and we do it too. My wife and I share a Facebook account. We go on trips, and we put on this highlight reel, and everybody's looking at these things, and you're like, Wow that's a great trip they went on, or wow, they just bought a new car and they posted on there, they must be really wealthy, or wow, look at all these great experiences they get to have. Their kids sure are blessed. And then you unfriend them. (laughs) Right? But it's not, you don't have the context with it. You're seeing this stuff behind the scenes, or you're actually watching some of these things and, and people are posting things and you're like, I actually know that person and their life isn't that pretty. Their life actually isn't that good. Their their kids are brats, or or he's not nice to his wife. So you're watching, and so you don't have this context. So Asaph is struggling with Facebook BC, basically, right here. He is looking at this highlight reel, and he's completely out of context. He has this unobjective view, the skewed view, an earthly perspective of what he thinks God's goodness is. This is where it gets a little bit darker. Surely in vain I have kept my heart pure and washed my hands in innocence. All day long I have been afflicted, and every morning brings new punishment. Sure. What, what he means by that is, is, again, Asaph is a Levite. So from the tribe of Levi, he, that whole tribe was kind of um, given the job of being the spiritual leaders. And all the other tribes would kind of con- contribute to the, the temple, and through those funds or, or offerings, they would get their, their, their sustenance from that as a people. So they, their job was to be the pastor. It's very common to the way a modern-day church is set up nowadays. You have a pastor, and then the congregation helps support that that system. So he's saying, Surely in vain I have kept my heart pure, and I have washed my hands in innocence. I am doing this job for nothing. Not only am I struggling, I'm not even as better as good off as these other people that aren't struggling. And he says that, all day long I've been afflicted, and every morning brings new punishment. He's talking to God at that point. You are, you are coming down hard on me with all of your rules and all of these commandments that I need to keep. And it's painful. It hurts. I don't like it. Every morning I wake up, and it's just one thing after the other. It's like a parent that is constantly trying to get their, their kids or their teenagers to stay in a line, And constantly controlling them and just trying to get them to go a long way. And these kids are like, why are you coming down so hard on me? Why are you putting all of these things on me when all the other kids are out here having a great time and their parents aren't doing any of that stuff? Well, like God to us, I was like, I want you to grow in a certain way. I want you to go on a certain path. Asaph's like, I'm slipping off that path, Lord. This is difficult. I haven't looked at my notes once yet, so I'm going to see where I'm at here. <clears throat> I think this is applicable to us here, too. As we go about our daily lives and, our, and our, um, our interactions with God, we can get really just burdened down with some of these things. That's where I was when I got to work and I was turning my, my truck off. Should I leave the ministry? What am I doing this job for? I see no fruits of this whatsoever. As a matter of fact, I don't see any fruits, and on top of it, I'm getting bombarded in the news with things that are coming against what I know to be true in Scripture. The people that are coming against and saying, you know, marriage is whatever you want it to be. Sexuality is whatever you want it to be. All of these things, everything is being questioned. And we bring that, and we just internalize that. And we don't really know what to do with it at that point. That's where Asaph is at right here. Verse 17, things start to turn around here a little bit. Till I entered the sanctuary of God, then I understood their final destination. Asaph went to church, really. His job, when he was the director of the choir and of music, he was Jason thousands of years ago. So Asaph goes to to the presence of God the sanctuary. You think of the sanctuary as just this place. It's just this quiet place where you can go and you can just be alone with just you and God. And that's where he goes. See, he'd been looking outward at everybody else, what was going on, and then that wasn't going anywhere. He couldn't find his answers there. So then he tried looking inward. What about, what can I do? And that wasn't going to help him. So now he went to church, and he's like, I'm going to look up. I'm going to fix my eyes to the heaven. And God was able to then fix his eyes it was there that God began to actually reveal to him an internal perspective. See, Asaph was looking at it from an earthly perspective. His version were these earthly things that are affecting him. He was, you, you can almost imagine, imagine that he maybe hadn't gone to the temple, temple for a while. And so his, his, what he was you know, constantly drawing, his attention, his desires, were becoming and, and And thankfully... He, he was able to be saved from something like this. But he was able to go into the sanctuary of God, and God then slowly revealed this, this eternal perspective to him. You remember a while back when we were talking about Samson, Samson had to have his eyes removed before he actually was able to see the plan and the will of God. Asaph knew that. He's like, you know what, I'm going to try church first. I'm going to see how this goes. And he was right. Because he leaves now, and he's got this eternal perspective. So now he's talking about these people that he was envying before. Verse 18 Surely you place them on slippery ground, you cast them down to ruin. I thought I was the one that was going to slip, but no, they're the ones on slippery ground. How suddenly are they destroyed, completely swept away by terrors? They are like a dream when one awakes. When you arise, Lord, you will despise them as fantasies. He realizes with this eternal perspective that they're on shifting sands. Everything that he was envying about them, the prosperity of the wicked, all of those things could be just wiped away with one thing that goes wrong in their life. And they're putting all of their their faith and their trust, you remember that necklace of pride, because they have all of this, this wealth and these shrewd business deals. You know, they're, they're the popular kids that everybody's congregating to because they're seeing like, oh, well, the, the godly Asaph looks miserable, and you guys look like you're having fun. So they're attracting all of that. All of that can be just swept away like a dream. Every morning, my wife and I will have, we'll sit and have coffee in the morning, and we'll go, you know, how did you sleep? Oh, I slept fine, you know. I had some really weird dreams last night. Oh yeah, what were they about? I can't remember. As soon as you wake up, they're gone. You, the, the realization that this reality that you were dreaming about is gone the moment you awake. And it's important to note here that Asaph is not referring to their eternal destiny here. He's talking about what they're doing, and he's not talking about it in a judgmental way. What he's doing is acknowledging that that's not the way that we need to be living. Talking in a way that, you know, I, I, I kind of wanted to envy that. But now I'm starting to see that there's, there's no sustenance in that kind of a lifestyle. But he's not condemning them to hell. He's not judging them for their actions. He's just saying that that is not the right way to experience the goodness of God. Because we don't know that all of these wicked people here, God could be working on their hearts separately too. Just like God is working on Asaph's heart here, some of these other people that he's referring to here, God can be interacting in their hearts too and bringing them to a, uh, an eternal perspective on things. Again, I have not looked at these. Verse 21, he comes before God now, and he admits his shame. And he does it very colorfully. When my heart was grieved and my spirit embittered, I was senseless and ignorant. I was a brute beast before you. When my heart was grieved and my spirit embittered, you see, the further we get away from God, the more we're going to experience a grieved heart and an embittered spirit. And this, communion with God we hear that's why I love I mean this is, was senseless and ignorant. Just because these people don't follow God doesn't mean they don't get sick. It doesn't mean they don't fear death. He had this skewed view of what He was actually seeing from them. A brute beast, when I picture a brute beast, I picture uh, just a hot summer day and this giant ox just toiling away, chained to a plow, and he's got the the saliva and the snot dripping out of its nose and it's blowing hot air and dust out of its face and its eyes are bloodshot and there's flies all around it as it's grunting and pulling against this burden. That's what I picture a brute beast to be. Just mad pulling. That's what Asaph is comparing himself to. I was senseless and made no sense whatsoever. Verse 21 is where we start to see Asaph and God actually start to come together. And we witness God's grace. Um, When he says, verse 21, my heart, or I'm sorry, verse 23, yet I am always with you. You hold me by my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. Afterward, you will take me into glory. See, while I was out stomping my feet like a brute beast, senseless and ignorant, you were still hanging on to me. He's almost amazed that God did not let him go. He knows it was undeserving, but God's like, no, I made a promise to you. And with my grace, I am going to prove my faithfulness by not letting you go ever as I lead you into glory. And not only am I not going to let you go, I am going to counsel you. I am going to guide you. You put that in contrast when he was back here, when he was calling it affliction and punishment, and now he's referring to as an intimate relationship with God where he's hanging on. He's not a God from afar that just loves to torment us. He wants to hang on to us. will never let us go, and that's a promise, and God is only good. There is no maliciousness in him. So so if he says he's going to hang on to us for forever, you can believe that that's true. But not only that, I'm going to counsel you. I'm not just going to leave you twisting in the wind. I'm going to hang on to you and guide you. Verse 25, he admits the object of his his desire. Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Whom am I... Who have I in heaven but you? Even all the great things that are promised to us in heaven. He's still, God is the focal point. Even in eternity. It is all about Him. And I have already established that there is nothing on earth here that interests me. There is nothing here that can sustain me. As a matter of fact, when my heart and my flesh fail, you will be my strength and you will be my portion. When it fails... Our heart will fail us. Our flesh will fail us. Every day, we are one day closer to actually meeting God. It's just a fact. And he's saying, you're going to be my strength and you're going to be my portion. And you, I will find my satisfaction. Are there other portions on this world? Absolutely. There are other things that we can fix our eyes on. All of them will turn to dust, ultimately. And he's saying here that forever, forever, you will be my portion. Because you promise me that. You promise that you will hang on to me forever. Verse 27, he throws out the, the harsh truth. Those who are far from you will perish. You destroy all who are unfaithful to you. And One of the commentaries I, I wrote, um, they called it spiritual adultery, which sounds terrible, but That's accurate. You're actually going from this loving father and you're going to go find something else to try to replace him. And apart from God, we are nothing. And apart from God, we will eternally be suffering. And as we finish up here, we're on verse 28. My wife says that I should remind people that like to highlight things, that if you want to highlight something, this is a good one to highlight. This is a beautiful verse. But as for me, It is good to be near God. I have made the sovereign Lord my refuge, and I will tell of all your deeds. But as for me, it is good to be near God. It's a 180-degree turn of what he thought good was at the beginning of this chapter. He thought good was stuff, popularity. He thought good was being able to make shrewd business deals and have no consequences. That's what he thought the goodness of God was. Here he's admitting, you know what's good? It's to just be near God. That's good. I have made the sovereign Lord my refuge, and I will tell of your deeds. I like that word refuge. I like that word refuge because that word, you almost can't talk about it without talking about the gospel story. You think of like these wildlife refuge or you know, these lion refuges or something, that they're not taking care of. You know, mal- you know, refuge. And that's exactly what... So I love the idea of a sovereign Lord being a refuge. We're not asked to be healed, we're not asked to be perfect, we're just asked to enter into this refuge and receive something that we can't do ourselves from our Holy Savior. And I will tell of all your deeds. What deeds did I hear you ask? I didn't hear that, all right. I'll tell you what deeds, we'll go back to verse one. Verse one, you are good. Verse 23, you are gracious. Verse 24, you are faithful, you are my counsel. Verse 25, you are my desire. 26, you are my strength, you are my portion. 27, you are my eternal salvation. 28, you are my sovereign Lord, you are my refuge. I will tell of your good deeds. Those are, those are some good deeds out of one chapter out of the entire Bible, and I'm confident there will be more. So I guess my, my, my challenge for all of us here is that as we fix our eyes on something, maybe we need to weigh that against Scripture here, and maybe we need to actually fix our eyes, and we're looking at the wrong thing, and we need to actually focus on God as our only portion and our only strength. And then come to the realization of that eternal perspective. Because make no doubt that the things that we desire here on earth do have eternal consequences. And we are warned of that here. Well, I'm going to actually pray in closing here. And um, we'll move to, uh, to, have to our communion. Father, Lord, I just thank you for your Scripture. I thank you that you uh, cared so much for us that you did not leave us without the guidance of your Scripture without your Holy Spirit interacting in our lives and and counseling us and leading us down a path. Father, that you hang on to our hands even when we try to pull away, senseless and arrogant. Father, I thank you so much for the warnings that uh, you lay before us, that you are sovereign and that you are our refuge. Pray these things in your name. Amen.